Hello and welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell, and my other co-host, Mr. Brian O'Hengasa. Paddy, firstly, how are you this week? I am absolutely splendid. Couldn't be better. Have had a fantastic quasi-week off because we're recording this just after Christmas. I don't know when it'll probably be out next week, is it? I can't remember what day we're even on. So I've been nice and relaxed, chilled. Have you been chilled, Gary? Very chilled. Been enjoying myself. Lovely Christmas at home. Spending time with my new uh, puppy. So, you know, happy days. And Brian, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I was back in Dublin for about 10 days, uh, catching up with people over Christmas. I had Christmas there. I'm back in Cork now. Um, you know, Fiona has a bit of time off this week. So, uh, yeah, it's been very enjoyable Christmas time. So you went from the Wonderful. best county in Ireland to the worst county in Ireland. Interesting. I'm sure a lot of listeners are in Cork, Paddy. You can't say that. Surprisingly, we have very few listeners in Cork. And that's we, have, we have a lot of listeners from Dublin. So I know everyone in Dublin is like, you're <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's been it's been really good. Uh had a lot of people home for Christmas from various places I hadn't seen in a while. So uh no, it was it was great to catch up. Had a very nice Christmas, and yeah, still kind of quasi time off this week as well. Love to see it. Wonderful. And, 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 go on, Gary. You can say it. I was just going to say that you know Brian is is our head of nutrition. Really, that's his his special area is nutrition coaching. And last week we spoke a little bit about goal setting more generally. And how we can move into the new year optimally. And I think that while training is, of course, an area of of interest, nutrition is probably the area where you'll see most information over the next few weeks. Because a lot of people at this time of the year are focused on weight loss, especially coming out of the Christmas period. People will find themselves, you know, going on diets that probably won't work in the sense that they're not going to stick to them people might be in a bad place in terms of their relationship with food coming out of christmas so there's a lot of nutrition related issues that we end up solving as trainers during this period of time so we wanted brian to come on and discuss that today but also what we discussed last week was a little bit of a reflection in terms of how our own years went uh, me and patty and obviously you're probably sick to death of listening to me and patty each week so we want to ask brian now give him the chance to tell us a bit about how his year was in terms of at the start at the outset what were you aiming at with your training you know obviously you like me and patty you do jiu-jitsu you're also in the gym maybe you have other goals um i know patty does a little bit of your programming or all of your programming so tell us a bit how the year has gone overall from a training perspective maybe from a nutrition perspective as well any obstacles etc yeah yeah i mean just to say paddy fully coaches me it's not just kind of it's not half-assed yeah. whatever so he fully programmed rule his life i'm like don't eat that slap it out of his hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, now there's a lot of uh a lot of input that says, look, I trust that you know what to do with your nutrition. So, you know, carry on with that. But yeah, training programming for sure. Um, Patty has the reins of. So uh, let me see. So during the year. Yeah. So actually one of the one of the top priorities at the start of the year would have been to obtain the blue belt in jiu-jitsu because I had a grading in what would have been about November 
2021 and I was told what things I needed to work on in order to get the blue belt because uh, it was assessed for it and didn't get it. So that was a pretty clear um, target to aim at and did get that then in May. There was a grading in May. Uh, I competed again in May as well, just before um, that grading got a silver medal in the, the IBJJF uh, Dublin Open. So um, that was good. Should have got gold. Um Paddy gave me a really hard time over that, but uh, look, it is what it is. Uh, no, not really. Um, and I was also, I was playing basketball at the time as well, actually, yeah. Um, so I haven't played basketball since. Um, that, se- that season, actually, the last game of the season was the same week as that competition. So very uh, poor timing in terms of peaking, like trying to peak for both. Um, but got it done um i was dealing with uh, a good bit of knee pain like from basketball and, and that was one of the main things patty was helping me with uh throughout the time he's been coaching me um so it was getting better but it was it was hard to get ahead of it when i was especially if i was playing like one game a week it was okay playing two games a week um along with jiu-jitsu and everything else was a challenge so uh Took the summer off, worked on the rehab with that. Um, made a lot of progress with it, uh, but I decided it wasn't going to be worth playing again this season. So just taking the the full year off to keep rehabbing it. And like, you know, now my knees feel really good and, and you know, the prospects for playing again next season is is probably there, but uh, we'll see if I, if I want to or not. Um, it was fun. Because I'd come out of retirement for after like ten years of not playing um, on a team, <laughs> it was a good crack, like um, and enjoyed it. Um, and then, like always, kind of looking at getting bigger and stronger, like throughout the year. Um, I did. I did get COVID in July, and then that I think I had long COVID after that because my recovery just went really poor like training is normal and just not recovering and then digging a recovery hole eventually and like fatigue uh just was accumulating over time so eventually kind of decided it probably was that because it's not the kind of thing you want to place blame on because there was a lot going on it's like uh, i don't want to just say oh it's probably long covid but yeah um upon reflection it actually probably was um so then Paddy adjusted the programming to facilitate more recovery, leaving more reps in the tank. Um and as a result now, like probably like four to five weeks of feeling quite good again. Um after a couple of months of, of kind of having to peel back the training intensity. Um but the last four or five weeks have been great, like kind of building things back up again, resolving some niggles that had uh cropped up in that time frame. Um and yeah, training the training's been really good the last kind of month or so. Now I need to do more jujitsu. Um, because now that I have the blue belt, you know, purple belt is is next. Um, so you know, we have to be working on that. Um, and yeah, just uh continuing to get uh, bigger and stronger and make sure recovery is good. That's that's kind of a, a meld of where we've been and then where we're going now. You want to say anything on on that, Patty? like you're a bit of an interesting case study because at the start of the year well like i've been coaching you for what two two years now or something like that um 
But at the start of this year, like we had, well, and at the end of last year, you were basically a dual sport athlete. So you were doing basketball and jujitsu, right? And you weren't fit enough, let's be honest. <laughs> and also you were dealing with knee pain, right? So, well, there was actually ad- adductor pain and a little bit of low back kind of referral pain. But anyway, you were dealing with pain. So you're like the perfect case study of, I'm an athlete, I'm you know training away hard, but I have all of these other fucking issues going on that need to be addressed, you know? Um, and I think we did quite well with all the stuff, you know, and a lot of that comes down to like auto regulation, managing intensity, focusing on the highest yield, high return things and going, okay, look, we can't look after this adaptation or this attribute. Like we're not going to progress it right now, but we can at least try to maintain it, you know? Um, but yeah, that's the start of the year. Obviously your recovery wasn't great when we had two basketball games. So that was obviously a, a, a big thing. Um, but since then, even over the summer, even though obviously we're thinking you had long COVID, um, over the summer, I feel like we still managed to do a huge amount in terms of you were getting stronger, you were getting fitter. Like, obviously, there was ups and downs across that. Um, and the only reason I bring that up is because a lot of people in your situation if you're like a dual sport athlete, they'll just be like, oh, look, I just, I don't have time to allocate to resistance training or, you know, cardio training outside of that. And look, that's a very real thing. Like if you have a job, which you do have a job, you know, like there's, there's other stuff going on in your life. However, you can get a huge return on a very small investment. Like I think at stages we were just doing two resistance training sessions per week, you know, and it's like, you can get a huge return off of that and still do your sport. You know, and also just because you're dealing with something like like long COVID in this case, it doesn't mean that you have to completely give up everything. You know, now obviously it's going to be different for everyone, like any illness, whatever. It's going to be different. So it's not like you're the perfect case study of like, oh, if I can do it, everyone can do it. That's never usually the case. But we can use this as a bit of an example going like, okay, well, you can do something. You might not be able to be at your peak. You might not be able to do all the things that you wanted to be able to do, but we can still be taken away at some of your goals. You know, like I would say on the, on the whole, looking at this year, it was a very productive year. You know, like you got a lot done. You're a lot stronger, fitter, generally a more robust individual, which was the goal. Now, obviously we have specific goals and whatever else. Um, but I think you did quite well. Good assessment. Anyway, we're not here actually to talk about you <clears throat> review. We just did that because we're nice people. We just wanted to hear about your life, you know. Um, we're here to talk about nutrition and specifically, we want to hopefully help people set their nutrition up for the new year. Now, a lot of the advice that you get in this space is very generic. And we're going to start with some generic advice, right? Because that's actually where you need to start because we can go into oh, this deep dive specific. This is exactly what I do with my clients. And this is how I coach this individual, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually somewhat irrelevant unless we have the foundations in place, right? And again, you're going to be getting exposed to terrible information, usually online, New Year's, everyone thinks, oh, I can do this myself. And they go on these crazy diets that they just concocted in their head. And they're like, that'll, that'll work. So hopefully we're going to help people set things up correctly. So at least you have the foundations. And then hopefully by the end of this, we'll have gone into some of the more 
you know, coaching specific things that we do in terms of how do we translate these like generic, you know, advice? Because that's the thing, like you can literally fucking find this stuff online. It's not like it's groundbreaking stuff, you know, but it's the actual implementation of this stuff that makes the difference. And that's where the, the coaching side of things comes in. So anyway, Brian, how do we set up a diet, right? Run me through this. I just call Brian, got my friend. They want to get coaching with you. They've never done anything like this before. Maybe they're going for some fat loss. That's the, that's the kind of goal because I know a lot of people, that's usually the goal in New Year's. What do I do? They, they want to just, they, they're happy to take their time with it. They're not going, oh, I need to lose 20 kilos in four weeks. They're like, I just want to set things up straight properly and I want to get the results this year. I want to be in a better place by the end of this year than the start of this year, you know? So where do we start with them? Yeah, so, you know, people need to keep in mind that nutrition-related goals are a result of what you do over the medium to long term and what you do regularly and consistently. So we have to think about, okay, what things do we actually need to do consistently to, to achieve this sort of an outcome? And then once we've identified those things, you want to help people put those into place, right? Um, and how will you know what those things are going to be well you need to get a baseline of where someone's you know nutrition and lifestyle actually is at um so for that we can definitely just come in and say okay look i want to see what you know one to two weeks of your normal eating habits looks like um and like this time of year that might be a little bit hard to pin down because you know people don't want to define themselves by you know the two weeks over christmas and, and how their diet was then right they don't want to say like that's what i do most of the time um if they're getting on the path towards a health kick you know what they've done you know maybe last couple of days or maybe you know this is this is the week of new year's so maybe next week when they start getting stuck into this um they have very different ideas of what their diet is going to look like. So you need to, you know, basically get what, what's a normal week look like, you know, probably not what the Christmas period looked like, because that's not really representative, but also not what, you know, your, your quote unquote ideal diet looks like, which you might, you know, you, whatever you think that is, you might try and you might sustain that for a couple of days or whatever or a week um, before you probably start to gravitate towards your original habits, because those are the ones that are actually formed um and like you see this all the time with the you know questionnaires that that people do when they sign up for coaching it's like we ask them you know what does a typical day or week of eating look like and in a lot of cases based on what people fill in there it's like cool well you don't need my help so we're not going to go ahead with coaching because they fill in like the ideal diet and where it's like that's not i see why people want to do that like they obviously want to have the best representation of themselves but doesn't actually help us establish a baseline so we need to establish a baseline before we can start making adjustments yeah um and that can be through tracking it can be just through keeping a food diary without tracking um i think there's a lot to be a lot to be gained from tracking for at least a short period of time um you know a couple of weeks or whatever because i you know i would dispute the, the idea that it's hard to track you know, it, sometimes people make it out to be this really tedious thing. Whereas like, like realistically, if I, if I have to ask you to keep a food diary, it's just as tedious, if not more so, you know, because you still have to write in the things that you ate and then you probably have to transfer it somewhere into your check-in and then 
if it was on my fitness pal, you could I can just sync up with that and just look at it there. So um I don't think tracking is is incredibly difficult. Now people definitely struggle with it in certain situations, like if it's a meal that they haven't made themselves or they're eating out or something like that. But that's just, you know, coaching is essentially problem solving and helping people overcome hurdles and and giving people the knowledge and ability to manage that stuff for themselves so that's just a very common obstacle that comes up that we have to navigate it's like oh well i don't like tracking because when i eat out you know once or twice a week i don't know what to do there so that's you know we have solutions for that um just on that because i i know so many people struggle with this and they're like oh well, i don't want to track or i tracked before and i i didn't like it or whatever like you have to just view it as a tool it's simply a tool in your toolbox it's one of the most effective tools we can do other methods, you know, you can literally, like you said, write these, the foods down, you know, the portion size that you think it was, take pictures. There's a variety of other methods. However, tracking is one of the most beneficial methods because it actually teaches you so much. However, that also means that there is a bit of a learning curve to it and there's going to be issues that you run into. Like you noted there, a very common one is, oh, well, I don't know how to track when I'm eating out, but that's a, that's a skill that you learn by doing it you don't learn that skill by not doing it you know like you're never going to learn the skill of tracking or staying on track while you eat out if you don't actually practice it you don't actually like acquire that skill you know um but yeah the, what i always say to my clients is look we're going to use calorie and macro tracking at the start for the vast majority of them that's what i do you know we're going to use it at the start we're going to help you get your diet on track we're going to help us like analyze your diet see where it's at see what needs to be changed and then we're going to get it to a stage where this stuff is on autopilot we've just used my fitness pal for example there are there are other tracking apps you know we just use my fitness pal to teach you about the diet get things set up and then once we have a good structure we can start moving away from it which maybe we'll talk about later on and awareness creates change as well like so if if you've had maybe some conversation about a new client about a new client with a new client about what their diet is going to look like in terms of what we're aiming at, like something like, you know, fruit and vegetable intake. And then they track for a couple of weeks and they see, well, I, you know, one portion a day. And it's like, okay, well, I'm very conscious now that it doesn't cut it. Uh, and I can see very clearly what needs to be changed. So it creates awareness, um, which is really, really important for making any sort of behavior change. And what I, as well. Sorry to interrupt again. Like that's actually something that, you see almost ignored oftentimes in the health and fitness world, right? And the, the the fruit and veg one is actually a good example because you'll see people go, oh, well, I don't track my vegetable intake or I don't track my you know greens or whatever, which is perfectly fine, right? But then you actually get these health and fitness you know people to actually track their food. And all of a sudden you're like, you're actually only eating like 10 grams of fiber per day because you're eating like lettuce and spinach and stuff like that, which, yeah, it does have fiber, but it's actually not a, a huge amount, you know? So because they've ignored it, because they're like, oh, well, I don't need to track fruit and veg or I don't need to track, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it's fine. It's just in a good place. I eat loads of it. It's the exact same thing as people saying that, oh, well, I don't need to track my food because the, my food's on point. I eat loads. You know, if they're trying to gain weight, I, I eat loads. And then you actually track it and you're like, you're eating 2000 calories, you know, like, Awareness does allow you to see where you're actually at and then you can change because of that. But also bringing awareness to something naturally makes a change in, in and of itself without a conscious choice. Like like you said, like if you start tracking 
usually people just start, oh, I'll actually, I don't want to eat that food that I normally would eat because I don't want to have to track that. I don't want to have to add that to my total, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I will add there as well. Like people, even people who have had experience tracking doesn't mean they're good at it, you know, which is because like it is a skill to be developed. Um, and look, like we've all looked through thousands of days worth of food diaries, like over the years across our clients, right? So we're very good at spotting errors, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you just you just you see some wild entries every now and again, you know, because in my fitness pile, the database is user managed, so it is prone to error. Um, so you see it all the time, like, uh, you know, either the the calories for something might be okay, but then the macros are like way off. You know, but they're not even in it. It's just someone was like, "Oh, I just put in the calories, and all the macros are blank." <laughs> yeah, I think I think my fitness pal have a. I think you have to add that stuff in now if you're adding a new food, and um, but obviously a lot of that stuff is there like for many years at this point, um, or you know, there's there's <laughs> something is listed as having crazy amounts of fiber, or more commonly just no fiber at all. So yeah. people get shortchanged on their actual fiber intakes, and like this is what I say to people: like you have to kind of. Like, fair enough, if you're a sort of a beginner with this stuff, you may not have that awareness, but, like, you need to look at the entries and say, like, does that look right? You know, you need to have some sort of uh, cognizance around that because uh, that'll help you avoid mistakes. And, like, you know, I point these out to people when we see them, especially in the first few weeks. It's like, look, okay, this is an error here or you're, you're not getting the the fiber contributions from that food, um, so let's find something else. Um, and, like... As well, you know, people, you know, for say, like say, say someone goes out for like a coffee and a scone or something and they just put scone in and it's like, all right, there's scones for 150 calories and there's scones for 600 calories. So, you know, people obviously have a tendency to lean towards the, the lower end, right? Which may not be uh, correct, um, you know, so like you can usually find that information, you know, by using say generic uh not generic sorry but like kind of chain establishments like starbucks or something right they'll have their nutrition information on mm -hmm. on their i think they sell scones right so um be able to figure that stuff out but also not yet yeah, not gravitating towards the lowest of all those things um so all these all these things you need to help people with uh you know there's there's a lot of errors that go on but again that's part of the education process of actually understanding your food better and understanding nutrition better being able to actually track properly because like a lot of people might say like oh yeah i tried tracking and like it didn't work for me it's like well it actually is something that you may need a bit of guidance on to actually get good at it um and you have to kind of be engaged with it as well like i said actually look and say oh does that look right to me um you know the calories are your 500 but if i add up all the macros it's like 1500 it's like there's obviously something wrong there um so that's important yeah just, but, just there's a there i hate to say it, like there's a right and a wrong way to use my fitness pal but there is a better and a worse way and this is also not just what you're saying in terms of being like cognizant of the actual oh is this the correct choice to make in terms of the like you said the scones it's like oh i'll choose the 150 calories one versus the 600 one like yeah you need to to do that but you also actually need to learn from what you're doing like you need to like for example, you'll see people go, oh, yeah, I track calories and macros. And they basically wing it every single day. Their days have no structure. There's no like typical meals. There's no you know, meal distribution like thought about. It's all just like I'll track it as it comes. And that that can work fine. 
you know, and that can work fine, especially if you're on higher calories. You're just like, I just need to eat my calories, hit my protein, and we're good to go. But it doesn't actually teach you good eating habits, you know, if you're using my fitness pal like that. What we generally try to get people to do is actually use my fitness pal to help you structure your meals better and actually have a general day structure. And I know, Gary, you're pretty big on this with a lot of your clients as well, where you want them to actually, here, here's what a normal day looks like in terms of what do your, say you're having three meals a day. It's like, what's your breakfast look like? Could you eat roughly that breakfast without using my fitness pal? Like, do you have a general meal structure, you know? Stuff like that, because it actually makes transitioning away from my fitness pal so much easier. Like if you are someone that just just tracks your calories, you know, wings it on the daily, eating completely different foods every single day, eating completely at random times, whatever. Like, yeah, that it feels like you have a lot more freedom, but it's actually those people that say that my fitness pal is the hardest. They're the ones, oh, it's just it's so tedious. It's like, yeah, because you're just tracking things randomly. You're not doing any kind of pre-planning, any kind of like general organizing of your day so that you're making it easier for yourself. Like we eventually want to put this stuff on autopilot. So how do we do that? We create some good meal structures. We can create some good like general day of eating and you basically don't need to rely on my fitness pal then, but we're just using my fitness pal to help you create those days, you know? So as I said, like, I don't want to say there's a right and a wrong way to use my fitness pal because look, you can use the tool a million different ways, but there definitely are better and worse ways, in my opinion, to use a tool. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, don't learn to use my fitness pal correctly. And they're the ones that actually struggle. Yeah. Um, and as well, like throughout this process, he wants, because you mentioned, you know, eventually moving away from having the track. You know, you need to be kind of engaged with the tracking and, and again, being kind of switched on and observing about what's going on. So I said, you know, you're looking at things. Does that look right? But then also kind of taking stock of, OK, what does my tip, what do my typical meals actually look like in terms of their calorie and micronutrient composition? Because you could you could have people who track for, you know, six months and then, you know, take away tracking for a minute and say, like, oh, well, how many, how many, what are the macros and calories of? you know your breakfast and they'll be like uh you know they won't they won't be able to tell you or they won't be able to tell you the the nutrient composition of you know the 10 foods that they eat on a very regular basis which is a bit of a waste in my opinion like that yeah. if you do or you find yourself in that situation like that's actually not a huge issue if you're still able to go oh this is generally what I need to eat. This is what a rough breakfast looks like in terms of the volume of food, what my plate looks like, et cetera. You know, like you would still be able, like I always use the kind of thought experiment of, look, if I don't know, an EMP went off over the servers of my fitness pal and it's just gone, you know, it's, it's broken. They have to start from scratch again. So would you be able to eat, you know? And a lot of people who just wing it, they would be like, oh no, like, I don't know what to do with my diet anymore. I don't know how to organize things. You know, a lot of people who, don't like you like you're saying there like don't know what the you know the contribution of their food is in terms of it's like oh well like you know 100 grams of chicken has roughly 25 grams of protein like if you don't know very rough estimates you're going to struggle and the only way to get away over that if you don't want to be really paying attention to the different meal choices or the, sorry the food choices you need to have more of a structure and you need to be able to go okay so a breakfast needs to look roughly like that 
that's probably around 600 calories based on what I've previously done. Cool. You know? Yeah. You, you like you start to learn. It's like, okay, a portion of protein rich food will provide this much protein. So if I have that on my plate, that's kind of, that's ticked off. And then the same with things like carbohydrates and things like fruits and vegetables. And this is something that I, I talk to clients a lot about. Um, and I'm going to put together some sort of content or guide on this. It's on my list of things to do, but like, there's actually not a huge amount of variation food to food. Like, yes, there's thousands of actual foods. And I, I talk about this a lot. I'll give you, use an example of like, you know, let's say like treat foods or, you know, sweet treats, right? So you go into the shop, right? There's fucking hundreds of options in that category. But the actual nutrient composition and the the, mac the macronutrient calorie composition is not going to be that different, right? Because they all have kind of the same uh combination like slightly varying quantities but roughly speaking pretty much the same combination of like carbohydrates and fat okay there's some special categories there where they have slightly less you know uh, say ice cream right higher water content right so it doesn't actually meet the same as like dry goods but what i say is like for kind of dry goods um it's in around 500 calories per 100 grams right cookies pastries donuts cakes tarts all that stuff, chocolate, right? All that stuff is in around that uh, value, right? So, like, you don't have to know the value for all those foods, right? Because then if you eat one, you're like, oh, shit, I haven't eaten this in, like, months, and I don't know what the, the nutrient composition is. It's just the same as all those other things, more or less. You know, it's, like, there's obviously a bit of a range for this, and, you know, I'm just kind of landing in the middle, but, like, roughly speaking, it's not going to be that different, right? Especially kind of examples like I said ice cream or things like jellies right because they don't have any fat in them right so they're a little bit lower in calories because because they're just basically sugar right so they're a little bit different but all that other stuff pretty much the same right and then that that kind of thinking extends to the other food groups as well the other macronutrient groups you know foods that you have to learn to identify as like okay these are high carbohydrate foods right they're gonna have roughly the same macro composition right and roughly the same calorie composition right so there's a little bit of variety uh, and then we also talk about that right and you can talk about the you know the fiber content being a little bit different for for certain ones but it's actually not going to vary that much this also applies to protein rich foods i just break down break them down into either lean or fatty protein sources right and you know potentially just, there's three in that category where just like lean fatty and then very fatty right which there's not that much in but like you know things like maybe lamb and, and sausage and stuff would be very high fat and, and the fat may be higher than the protein content or equivocal um and then you've got the the kind of fatty proteins like things like oily fish and you know chicken with uh, say skin on and and certain cuts of beef and things like they're you know they do have obviously some fat in them but um they're more so protein and then you have the really lean ones like so lean beef and, and chicken uh like boneless skinless chicken uh white fish etc like all that's all those things lumped together in the same category in terms of the actual nutrient composition so you don't actually have to remember you know like you know if you're eating turkey you're like fuck i don't know the i don't have turkey a lot it's like it's only at christmas um but you know if you have you know pro what looks like a chicken breast amount of turkey on your plate it's the same right it's the exact same so that's something people um 
I don't think are very conscious of. Um, I think it just makes the whole nutrition thing a lot simpler because you don't have to have this huge database in your head of like composition of foods. You'd be able to identify, okay, what category is that food in? Okay, cool. It's a carbohydrate food. Okay. Within that, is it like on the higher end of the, the carbohydrate density, like something like cereal or rice, or is it on the lower end, like something like potatoes? Cause the, you know, the, again, the water content is a little bit higher. Right. And then, or maybe like fruit or something. Um, so those, that, that's some of the ways I think about nutrition and try and teach people about nutrition because um, I think people can can get overwhelmed and be like, oh my God, there's so many foods that I have to know about. But there really isn't. Like, yes, there's thousands of foods, but they all lump together in a few different categories. You don't actually have to know that many. You might have to have like one reference food in your head for each one and then you can you can go from there. Um, so it's a bit of a tangent, but uh, I think that's, that's important for people to, to understand that it's not as complicated as, as you might think. Um, but let's actually get back on track and uh, go back just to this person. Jump in as I usually do. There's also a huge like internal focus that we can be learning about like, oh, how full do I feel uh, when I eat, you know, this rough meal? And, you know, how, how hungry do I feel in between meals? Like, and that'll give you a bit of a guide in terms of if you have the right calorie distribution and also, you know, macros to an extent, obviously they're a little bit less, informative in the shorter term because like oh, how do you know if you've eaten enough protein like it's not like it's something you can you can feel you know although you, you do feel a little bit fuller from that but anyway we won't go into uh, the internal focus stuff as well and uh, let's get back like you said so look how do we set this person's calories up brian because i know that's what everyone wants to know they're like oh where, where, where do i set my calories you know as you said earlier on ideally you want someone to be tracking for a week or two to get an idea of where they're currently at now they're probably going to change their intake based on the fact that they're tracking. They're not going to eat the same food, but let's assume that they do. They're like, yeah, okay, this is just a general representation of what I eat on a general day. Where do we go from there? Yeah, so if you, if you have established that baseline of, of a couple of weeks, um, you know, it's a couple of weeks, right? So we need to look at if someone has fat loss goals, right? We obviously need to put them in a calorie deficit. And how do we establish that? Well, we know you're going to be in a calorie deficit when you're losing weight consistently over time based on how you're eating and based on other lifestyle factors like your activity levels. So, and like, you need to do this over the course of at least a couple of weeks because, well, for many reasons, but uh, for example, it helps us iron out some of those errors that you might be having in your tracking. It's like you might track poorly, you know, choosing all the lowest calorie values of all the foods that you eat. And, you know, it comes to 1,200 calories or something. And it's like, oh, and that's one of the ways that like, people come to, oh, I only need 1,200 calories and I still don't lose weight. It's like, okay, well, let me help you correct some of that stuff, right? This doesn't really look right here um, based on, on on what you're eating. So it gives us time to adjust for that. But then it also gives us time to actually, like, for the, the changes to accumulate over that time frame because this is a, another issue people have with, like, taking charge of their nutrition and body composition is that, they expect too much too soon. And then when they don't see that, they can give up or they start doing other magic shit. They're like, okay, this, you know, basic approach that the lads and triage are talking about isn't working. So I'm going to go, you know, try carnivore and see if that works for me. Right. Because, um, you know, I did a week of, of calorie counting and then supposed to be in a deficit and nothing happened. But you need to give that stuff like a couple of weeks to actually, you know, kick in, so to speak. Um, and based over, based on two weeks of of data 
gathering, you know, we can decide, okay, this person was eating 2,500 calories a day on average, right? So you have to take the average of the week rather than, you know, just what day today looks like, or just like the total calories consumed in the week. If you want to look at it that way, you can, um, you know, where did that leave them in terms of weight fluctuations, right? Um, and as well, that's another reason to to extend this stuff over a couple of weeks because weight will fluctuate. You know, I was joking with Paddy today that um, he was like, you know, I want to get I want to get you up to like 95 kilos over the next uh, few months. And I was like, bro, no problem. Put on like four kilos over Christmas weekend. So <laughs> I'm, I'm like 80 <clears> percent <throat> of the way there. Right. Like five months ahead of schedule. I got it <laughs> right but that is going to come off right that's that's a, a temporary fluctuation uh just based on you know the eating over christmas weekend right that stuff will track back down that is what i've seen over the last few days um but most people don't know to expect that right so you need to give it a couple of weeks let that stuff kind of iron itself out um thanks to you know the temporality of it and then see okay <clears throat> Did I lose weight? Did I gain weight? Did my weight stay the same? Like within within certain degrees. Like, you know, if if weight is down by like 0.1 kilos, like I would just I would just qualify that as staying the same. You know, two weeks, 1.1 kilos of a change is is not much. So we'll say, okay, cool. Based on that, <clears throat> where you were currently eating is, you know, maintenance. So now we need to actually put you in a deficit. So we might subtract, you know. 10 to 20 percent off those calories that you tracked and that based and like you know keeping all the other lifestyle factors in, in like when we're when we're manipulating variables you want to manipulate as few as possible and we don't want you know things like your step counts and your training um volume to like vastly different week to week because then you're control you're controlling the energy inside of things but then the energy out is is all over the place and you don't really know where you're at so you want to standardize as much as possible and then just change manipulate one variable at a time in this case you know your calorie intake um so it'll put you in what should be a deficit then and then you can take it from there um <clears throat> so that i think that's the best way you know you could in theory like estimate your you know your total daily energy expenditure using a, an online calculator like you just google tde uh, tdee because uh, that'd be hard to hear actually um and then to just like plug in your your numbers there then that should like they'll give you a decent starting point but you still have to then go and test that for a couple of weeks um and there are issues with that and <clears throat> doing that approach because like for example myself if i went in and did one of those on alex like oh, okay it's it's Stevens' day now. I'm gonna get start get back on track. Um, I'm gonna go figure out where my calorie requirements are. You know, if I plug in my four kilos heavier than my actual weight after that weekend, it's gonna give me a much higher estimated uh, energy requirement, um, which is gonna be misleading. Then, so you have to like take that into account because a lot of people are probably sitting around their heaviest you know, now and then like next week, this time next week. So um, you need to just be aware of that. Cause again, most people aren't going to be aware of that. They're, gonna, they're just going to see that number having gone up by a lot and they're like, oh fuck, I need to do something about this now uh, and then get stuck again. So that might throw things off there from that perspective. And I think the, I think the main cause for error in that method is the 
estimation of your activity levels. Um, I think people are pretty poor with that in terms of like which activity multiplier to use. Um, I think people tend to overestimate that. Um, so if I am setting up someone's uh, calories using that method and they tell me their activity levels are probably set at one degree lower on the activity multiplier, to be honest, and that usually puts it in the sweet spot. Um, but either way, you're going to have to start somewhere and then make adjustments based on what actually happens. Okay. So that is a common rule for, for all of this stuff. Does all that make sense? Absolutely. And just, just one note on the, the calculator side of things, there can be a lot of variance in the ones that you look at online. <clears throat> and one of the better ones, which is more like evidence-based and reviewed over time would be from the NIH. Uh, so it's at niddk.nih.gov forward slash BWP. I'll put that in the description box. Um, I just remember the URL because I often send this to people, um, but it's on the NIH website from the US um, and it's their body weight planner. And what it, what it will give you is not just that kind of basic information of like how to set your calories, but if you, you can set different rates of, of fat loss, it'll give you an idea as to how your body weight will change with the metabolic adaptations of dieting over time, as opposed to just predicting it in a fixed manner, which is obviously not ideal. Because uh, that's something we always say to clients is that, you know, if you've set your calories in accordance with what Brian has done there, that will work for a number of weeks. But now you're at a new body weight. And if you're five kilos lighter, now your TDEE or your maintenance calories is going to be lower. So now we need to adjust our rates according to that. So that's one of the only planners that actually does that, to my knowledge, because it's created by by Kevin Hall, who's a fairly prolific kind of fat loss obesity researcher. So check that out. Other than that, I don't think I have anything else to add, but uh, I'll put that in the description box. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good point. That sounds pretty cool. I actually wasn't aware of it, but uh, Kevin Hall yeah, is, a, is a G. Um, and it should be pretty easy to conceptualize. I think I heard Patty talk about this on a podcast first, maybe even before I started working with triage, um, which is pretty standard because, you know, learned a lot from you guys over the years um an idiot that's that's your problem not mine <laughs> hmm? what was that? i said i'm an idiot so it's your problem if you're learning <laughs> from me. uh you said you know imagine wearing a weight vest you know you today puts on a, a five kilo weight vest and just wears that all the time versus you not wearing the weight vest you know who expends more energy people are very very easily able to think well, yeah, obviously the person who's heavier because I'm having to carry that weight around. And it's the exact same situation. Like if you've lost five kilos, you're no longer wearing that weight vest. Therefore, your energy expenditure is going to be lower. Right. So easy way to conceptualize it. And um, that was the best way I've heard of, of doing it. So that's the example I use now. Thank you, Patty. Um, so, yeah, are we happy with the, the calorie setup there? Yeah. And the reason we spent so long on calories is because it's arguably the most important thing. If you get your Absolutely. calories, like the rest of the stuff, like you can kind of fuck around with, like we would be uh, an advocate of getting your protein at least in a good place, which we'll talk about next. That's what we're talking about it next. Um, but as long as your calories are in a good place, you can get very far, both in terms of body composition and health outcomes, you know, now, is it ideal? Probably not to just think of calories, probably not ideal to be like, that's the the single thing I think about with nutrition. But if you just thought of calories, you, you would be in a pretty good place, you know, um, but moving on. Protein is next. 
Now, I generally just think of protein as a bit of a range. And the reason for this is because there's an amount that is, let's call it sufficient, you know, and then there's an amount that's probably more optimal. And then there's an amount that's probably a good bit of redundancy built into it, you know, just in case maybe you need a little bit higher, you know, <laughs> like maybe you, uh, I don't know, it fills you up. They're the type of foods that you like, you know, there's a bit of redundancy, right? And generally what I say is the range is somewhere in the range of 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilo. So if you just get your body weight and multiply it by 1.5, like that's the kind of minimum threshold we want to be eating for your protein intake, if we're talking about optimizing body composition, health, performance, right? You could go up to 2.5. So again, just get your body weight, multiply it by 2.5. And again, there you go. Okay, that's probably the, the higher end. Now we can go higher intake. You can go up to like 4.4 and be like, oh, there's no negative averse reactions to this. Um, and you can also go lower and still technically be hitting a relatively sufficient amount. Although, you know, I would argue against some of those uh, methods that they use to say that 0.8 grams or whatever they use is is optimal. (laughs) Um, But that's generally the range that I use. Now, we could modify that based on your actual lean mass. So if you're someone that is obese, for example, if you multiply your body weight by 2.5, like, you're going to get a, a pretty fucking big number because you know, you're multiplying your body weight by 2.5 and you're you're obese, right? So that's not necessarily representative of the actual protein that you need because body fat itself doesn't really contribute, well, not massively at least, to protein requirements, right? It's mainly lean mass, which is like, you know, your bones, your muscles, your organs, that kind of shit, right? Um, so that is a case where I would kind of go, like if you're you're obese or you have a lot of weight to lose, I'd be like, I'd probably stick closer to the lower end of the range, right? However, we also have to take into account that protein is very satiating. So if you have a slightly higher protein intake, you're probably going to feel a little bit fuller for longer. So we don't want to just go, oh, look, you have a lot of fat to lose. So we're just going to go lower protein intake. Well, lower 1.5 is generally still higher than what most people eat, but you know, we're going to go on the lower end of the range. So there is a little bit of give in here, play, because we're not actually accurately able to tell your lean body mass. Even if you got a DEXA scan, it's not perfectly accurate. Like it's good to go, but it's not perfect, right? Um, and if we did know that, we could maybe get a little bit of a, a more specific number. But even then, there are still different like energetic requirements, different populations, different fucking whatever that have different protein needs as a result. Um, and also then we can talk about, oh, like the specifics of your diet because protein intake is actually just a proxy for amino acid intake. So if you were able to get the perfect amino acid blend, oh, maybe you would be able to eat lower protein and still be good to go, you know, but that's not the real world. So generally I find 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilo is kind of the sweet spot. I'll modify within that um, based on what I think the client needs. But if you're a listener to this and you're kind of going, I don't know how to modify this based on me, you're probably good to pick somewhere like 1.8 to two, you know, somewhere in that range, 1.8 grams per kilo or two grams per kilo. You're pretty fucking good to go. Like you'll be in a great spot. Now, again, there are caveats and modifications to that, but I would be pretty happy if most people were like, oh yeah, I eat 1.8 grams per kilo of body weight in protein. What are your thoughts, boys? Yeah, um, oh, that's spot on. I think, you know, you have to, 
you have to give someone a target um, but not make it exceptionally lofty at the start so I'll often set people up kind of in the middle of that range you said around that 1.82 gram area um yeah like obviously with with our experiences as coaches as well like we have a good intuition about what might be most appropriate for the person in front of us um you know also where they're at in terms of like their goals you know this the person in deficit arguably would benefit from having more protein versus the surplus um the the potential if, if you're carrying a lot of extra fat mass is important so i'm glad you mentioned that um yeah you might you might set that using like a quote-unquote ideal weight um although that's not always perfect either because you know if i like you know judged by bmi and stuff like i'm overweight uh you know so but that's kind of yeah. really you are overweight you are <laughs> a really really easy way if you're like look i don't want, i just don't want to think about this stuff i just want to give me a specific number just take your height in centimeters whatever that is right so i'm 195 centimeters 195 grams of protein per day i'm probably fucking bang on like i eat about 225 you know um 225 grams of protein per day right and now that's not perfect by any means but if you're just like quick easy hitter just take your height in centimeters boom there you go again some people are going to need less especially women usually need a little bit less than that um but that's kind of just really hit it out the park boom one number there you go yeah yeah very simple because like again you could like people might spend inordinate amounts of time and energy thinking about what's the perfect protein number for me whereas you actually have to just start getting in and implementing this stuff consistently right which is you know one of the main points of this conversation so um how do we actually improve the protein intake across the day because that will also like spontaneously improve the rest of the diet pretty much um because you know if, if you have this protein target to hit you know let's let's just say it's 150 grams like let's see if this protein target to hit you usually have three meals a day you know plus or minus a snack or two it's like cool that leaves us with you know about 50 grams of protein per meal and yeah you know, this is this is how i coach people with this because like as we as we always say it's like it's not enough to just say oh yeah go go hit your 150 grams of protein like just get after it and you know talk to me next week when you've done that but well oftentimes, just just to interject i oftentimes do that for the first week purely so that we can actually identify where the biggest downfalls are and the person can kind of learn now obviously i say it to them i'm like look i'm, I'm throwing you in the deep end here this is going to be a learning experience. You're, you're not going to get it perfect. I just want you to try. But the reason I do that is, and obviously that's part of the coaching process. Like that doesn't work for everyone. Some people I need to actually straight out the gate, help them a bit more. But the reason I do that is because it actually does teach you because arguably, like you're saying here, if we get calories in the right place and then we go, okay, we're eating enough protein. Like that, that isn't enough to just tell someone, oh yeah, eat enough protein, eat enough calories. We actually have to translate that into how you actually eat in a given day, right? Like what are your breakfasts going to look like? What are your lunches going to look like? What are your dinners going to look like? How are you, how is your protein distribution across the day? Like, are you eating, most people don't eat enough protein at breakfast, you know, like if you have 150 grams of protein to eat and you have three meals, people would genuinely struggle with 50 grams of protein at breakfast, you know, like that's not how most people grew up eating. Right. So 
I'll throw them in the deep end and then we can identify they're like, oh, fuck, actually, yeah, I, I see this that look like I can get enough protein at lunch. I'm getting like 50 grams there and then I'm getting enough at dinner. I'm getting like 50 grams there. But breakfast, I'm just not getting anything. So then we can kind of go, OK, so that's the thing. That's the key where we need to focus. And once we can solve that, it's going to make the rest of your day a lot easier because you're already fuller. You're already like hitting your protein target. It's it's much easier, you know, so. I, I personally like throwing people in the deep end and then helping them modify from there. Um, but if you're doing this yourself, like obviously that's that's not that's not great. <laughs> um, and we really do need to focus on the habits, especially around protein, because a lot of people just don't eat enough protein. They never grew up like that. They don't know how to fit that in across the day. And ideally, we want to have a nice distribution of protein throughout the day. And that has to come with a little bit of pre-planning or forethought to actually be able to do that yeah and like you're gonna have like talk to people a lot about go-to meals you know you're gonna have go-to meals that are gonna be your standard reliable meals it's like you know the typical breakfast that i have with you know oats and uh, whey protein as the protein source and a lot of berries and stuff like that it's like you know that satisfies you know a third let's say of my my protein targets for the day it also solves you know a third or even a half of my fiber targets for the day depending on what exactly i put into that so like for me that's a fantastic go-to meal because it ticks some boxes uh for me so you're gonna you're gonna develop meals like that for yourself um and as i said yeah most people don't don't eat enough for breakfast so that we have to talk about ways to do that um i don't always throw people into the deep end because if they've given me a sample day of eating, it's pretty clear based on that. Okay, like I see you're having porridge for breakfast. And okay, so that's clearly quite a low protein breakfast. So we can start to intervene on that right away. Um, start adding in some like either protein powders or protein yogurts, uh, protein drinks. You know, there's so many options these days. Um, and, you know, my philosophy in terms of coaching nutrition is like, all right, I'm going to get someone from point A to point B, A being average diet, B being brilliant diet. And I want to start where the person is actually at and then just start modifying things. So I don't need to tell somebody, okay, fuck off your porridge. You're going to have 200 grams of elk for breakfast, right? Um, It'll sound great. Like, what? It'll sound great, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been there, like, meat and nuts breakfast, rotating uh you know i've done that right so uh, um but i was very it was very committed um and you know make uh, increasing the level of difficulty for implementation of change is a pretty surefire way to not implement the change and to fall off and end up in the same place you were a year ago which is obviously what we don't want um so if someone's having porridge for breakfast okay it's a, it's an additive approach to nutrition so let's instead of saying take that porridge out of there jesus what are you doing having carbs in the morning you're going to be fucking asleep before you know 11 a.m right which is nonsense but um add in the the protein sources there like like the ones i mentioned in the quantity that you need to hit whatever that protein per meal target is and that's what i'll do with people like okay cool this is your total daily protein intake target you have usually three meals a day right so that's going to be 50 grams of protein per meal what does 50 grams of protein look like, right? And I'll just give them a list of portions that actually meet that um, quantity, right? And just the, just the primary protein sources, you know, um, 
your your meats and poultry and fish and and dairy and eggs and um like the vegan sources as well soy based stuff and and mycoprotein or whatever tell them like okay this is what a portion to give you that amount of protein looks like and then we go with there and one way i might break this down is like okay maybe maybe you know 150 grams is is 1.5 grams of protein uh per kilo right so i might help someone set up their meals so they're getting that much from those primary sources and then you know you're going to get a little bit from like grains you're going to get a little bit from like pulses things like carbohydrate sources um which like sprinkle in a few more grams across the day um but they're not really what i want people thinking about in terms of like oh this is like a main way i get my protein in so if you've helped someone achieve 1.5 grams per kilo based on primary sources they might land at two grams per kilo like when you take all that other stuff into account yeah um so yeah you need to help people figure out how to implement that and and like yeah i mean you can definitely get a long way as you said patty with just having your calories set up properly though we, we work with a lot of people who are like oh i've tried calorie tracking but i never tried any any macro issuance of that and they didn't have much success so it does help um and uh so yeah so they, they could have they could have done that but then even people who might hit their like total daily protein like they could do that i still see it like people report in their check-ins like oh geez i was, I was super hungry for whatever reason um on these days and if we go and look at it it's like oh you actually omitted your protein source at breakfast for some reason therefore you ended up a lot hungrier uh earlier in the day and that may have lent itself to overeating as a result because your appetite was just higher so we have to appreciate the you know the, the appetite controlling effects that a proper distribution of protein might uh, contribute to in this case so it is important like yeah we can say oh yeah no we can be real real uh, simplistic about it it's like oh you just hit enough protein per day bro and then you know you'll you get stronger and get bigger but um a lot of this nutrition coaching and then applying nutrition change for yourself is about making life easier for yourself in terms of staying on the path and, and hitting the goals that you want to achieve so yeah you could say okay it doesn't really matter about the protein distribution except it does when you're looking at the implementation of it yeah in the real world it matters um okay so i think hopefully people have an idea of protein now we're just going to fly through the rest of this because most of it's pretty intuitive and well it's not actually intuitive i don't know why i said that it's really not intuitive at all there's nothing intuitive about the diet but uh fats we're probably going to set them at somewhere around 0.6 grams per kilo now we could go up to one gram per kilo that's generally the range but if we're talking about a general kind of fat loss diet we're probably going to limit extra fats and an easy way to do that is go okay 0.6 grams per kilo that's a rough and ready rule the next thing we're going to set is the rest of the calories so whatever we have left we set our protein we set our fats the rest of the calories, they can go towards carbs. Now, if you have a preference, you're like, actually, I prefer a little bit of a lower carb diet, a little bit more fats. That's cool. Carbs and fats, in my eyes, they're pretty equal. As long as you're getting at least 0.5, we'll say grams per kilo of fat, I really don't care what the way you organize the rest of your diet. Like if you want to go, I'm going to hit my protein and fat and I'm going to eat trace carbs. I don't care as much. Now, that's not optimal for a lot of different goals, but we're still maintaining the calories where they should be we're eating enough protein and the rest of the stuff is just an energy substrate you know um but 
most people are going to want to eat carbs. So set your cal- set your fats, 0.6 grams per kilo. Set the carbs as the rest of the diet. But then a further modification of that is ideally we want to have 10 to 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories. So if you're eating 2000 calories, you're eating 20 to 30 grams of fiber, right? And that does a few different things. Namely, it actually makes you set your calories or sorry, set your uh, food intake in a good place because you actually start eating your fruit and veg, right? So if you set your your fiber target as 15 uh, grams per thousand calories and you're like, oh, uh, I'm not able to hit that. Okay, well, we need to actually start eating more fruit and veg to hit that. You know, it's, it's not just, oh, I'll bring in a fiber supplement. Like that's not, that's not ideal. You want to eat fruit and veg, right? Um, so that's generally how we set things up. The further modification that I would say to that is that we ideally want to eat less than 10% of our diet or total calories to come from saturated fat. That would be the only real modification I would make to the fats goal. Now we could also get into like, oh, you should have omega-3s and you know whatever, but we can forget about that for now at the initial setup. And we just want to ideally get uh, saturated fat so that it's not too high, the rest of the diet in a good place, and then we're kind of good to go. Um, do you have anything else to add on that, Brian? Because I know we're we're basically glossing over a lot of things here because look, we only have so long on the podcast to discuss this stuff, and I don't want to be have this turn into a four hour podcast, which it easily could be if we're talking about a diet setup. Like we've talked about it before. There's gonna well, there is gonna be a lot of stuff on our website about it soon enough. But just for now, do you have anything to add to those general recommendations of the fats, carbs, fiber? Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree that you know the fat and, and carb ratios don't really matter, but if you're again trying to hit that sort of fiber target, that will usually lend itself to eating more carbohydrates. I think having a higher carbohydrate diet also looks more like a normal diet that this person is going to be coming to you with. And like I said already, I want to make minor changes to someone's existing diet to get them from A to B rather than, you know, making drastic changes, which, you know, going really low carb, super high fat will probably look like for most people. Um, Because most people are probably already eating a pretty carbohydrate dense diet. And it's like, cool. Can we just start modifying the sources of those carbohydrates? Can we make them higher fiber and higher nutrient, make sure that you're getting more nutrition from them. Um, when that those meals are more filling and stuff as a result. And again, that will make the actual implementation of the change easier rather than saying like, oh, I'm going to pull your carbs right down um, and then just like inject a lot of fat because like that's going to be a lot harder for someone to implement because they're like, what? What do you mean? I have to, you know, how do, how do I have to eat like six avocados a day here? What? Like I'm not used to doing that. Whereas you're probably used to having a carbohydrate source, you know, probably used to having your porridge in the morning and then some sort of bread or whatever at lunch and then potatoes or pasta or something for dinner. So, um, again, you can you can make sustainable change. You can help people make changes that they can actually do uh, and don't really struggle to implement that ultimately can lead to failure. Um, yeah, and the omega-3 thing, like you'll have a conversation about that. Like it's in the questionnaire. Do you eat oily fish? If you don't, then you're going to be like told to take an omega-3 supplement pretty much straight away. It's very low, very low hanging fruit from a, like a health standpoint and improving the quality of the diet. So that'll get te- uh, taken care of pretty easily, like with minimal effort. You know, if you eat the fish, then cool. 
work the work enough of that fish into your week right choose as a protein source that's basically how you do it um if you don't eat the fish then cool buy an omega-3 supplement start using it um and that's taken care of so you know that that'll be sorted out pretty easily with with minimal effort um but otherwise no i think that's that's all spot on um obviously people who are training more will will benefit from our carbohydrate diet as well for the most part so um that's another consideration like you know if you have performance-based goals then going on a very low carb high fat diet is, is not going to be great for that um so that's another kind of consideration when, when you're setting that stuff up but i know we're just talking about like fat loss specifically with this this conversation yeah and gary do you mind to add to those general recommendations I don't think so. I think that covers most of, of what I put into practice, really. Um, I'm fairly flexible in terms of like the carbon fat ratios myself. Like I'm always, you know, protein and calorie focused and I'll most often allow someone's diet, the foods they normally consume to drive the remainder of the ratios. You know, some people, of course, they prefer higher fat diets and they prefer higher carbohydrate diets. And once we're not going to the extreme with, for example, like the saturated fat, like you mentioned, or um compromising performance because we're just not eating enough carbohydrates um you know I, I'm, I'm pretty flexible for my athletic clients and people who are really focused on performance i will really try and keep the carbs as high as possible while bringing fats down as low as is practical and for me at least i'm probably more often concerned about the practical restriction in overall food choices that occurs with very low fat intakes rather than like a genuine concern of not having enough essential fatty acids or compromising hormone production. I think those concerns are a little bit overblown. Um, they also so, only really make sense when you're very lean. Yeah, it's it, like for most people, it's just not a huge concern. So a lot of the barriers for me end up being practical. So um, I think I think in summary, that covers pretty much um, everything we would want to say. The only thing I would want, I wanted to follow up on was just in terms of, like when people get all those recommendations and they put them in place, they often end up with other questions because they kind of come from the bodybuilding world and they'll say, do I need to cycle my calories? Do I need to have rest day and training day calories? And we kind of bring that again back to the point that we said in the beginning when Brian said, it's all about the medium to long term. So whether you cycle your calories, whether you have rest day and training day calories, ultimately your fat loss or your body weight change is determined by your average calorie intake across the week. So whether you split that each day, we still focus on that average. Some of my clients, they prefer to have higher calories in the training day and they don't have much of an appetite on a rest day. For me, I'm actually a bit like that. My appetite is very much exercise dependent. So if I'm not training, I'll generally eat a bit less. But for the most part, I think for simplicity's sake, I always recommend that people just try to hold constant throughout the week or maybe like plus or minus one or 200 calories. But the average is what we're really concerned about um, over time. Would you agree? 100%. And also just on that, this is a, an important thing. There's natural interhuman variability with this stuff. In terms of like Gary's mm -hmm. like, oh, my calories are driven by my exercise. Whereas I feel like I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, if I don't exercise, I feel like I'm hungrier. I feel like exercise has a you know hunger blunting effect for me you know i'll train in the morning and i'm like i literally could give or take food i'm like i'm not not that hungry anymore you know like i'll train twice per day and i'm like oh, i'm not that hungry i'll literally have a day off and i'm like man i'm fucking starving all day 
So that's just an important uh, note. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, the final thing that I want to just touch on is, and we touched on it throughout, we're using all those recommendations. I'm going to blast through them again, and then we're going to go into this, right? So calories, this is set based on your intake and then how your body weight changes. So track everything for a week, two weeks, note how your body weight changes. If it goes up, you're in a surplus. If it goes down, you're in a deficit. If it stays the same, you're at maintenance. Let's assume you know roughly where maintenance is. We're going to drop calories, assuming we're going for fat loss. We're going to drop calories by, let's just say 10% out the gate, right? I generally am like, look, 300 calorie deficit. That's probably where a lot of people want to be. Obviously, that's different if you're a small person and you're eating only 1,500 calories. Like eating 1,200 calories is a lot different than eating 3,000 calories for your fat loss diet, um, just in terms of the practicality of it. Now, in terms of the actual fat loss that occurs, probably similar. But again, practical here, right? So find your calories, reduce calories. We're setting our protein at 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilo. Again, refer back to the discussion. Fats, 0.6 grams per kilo. Carbs, the rest, whatever is left of those calories, right? And then we're further setting a goal of 10 to 15 grams of fiber per thousand calories, right? Cool. That's the baseline. There. We've summarized the last fucking hour of the podcast, right? <laughs> but what we actually want to do is translate all of that information, translate it into what does that actually look like for a day for you? And the best way to do this in my mind is to go, let me actually sit down here and plan out an ideal day for me. Don't just try to wing it. Don't just try to go, oh, well, I'll, I'll see what happens. Sit down and go, what can I actually do just on my phone, on my fitness pal to make my diet that I'm currently eating look more like what I want to hit? So you go through, like we were saying, you're like, oh, at breakfast, I realized that I'm, I'm not eating enough protein. You know, you don't actually have to do the day to realize that. You can just map out the day. Oh, I'm not eating enough protein there. What sources of protein could I get there? Oh, maybe some high protein, you know, Greek yogurt type deal, a protein shake. Cool. Okay, so I, I've solved that. What, what happens next? Oh, well, actually, now I'm over on my carbohydrates. Oh, actually, I'm eating a huge amount of carbohydrates at dinner. And can I modify that a little bit? You know, so actually just plan out your day look at it. Okay, cool. There's an ideal day, right? I've distributed the protein throughout the day. I have a good spread of calories throughout the day. I'm not doing anything you know, silly, just out the gate going like, oh, I'm going to intermittent fast. I'm going to have a two hour eating window. Like we're not doing anything like that. Like, yeah, maybe you do that in the future if you really, <laughs> really enjoy it. But at least initially we're eating a normal human diet, which is spread throughout the day, right? Um, then when we're doing that, when we actually put that in play, we're noticing how we feel after those meals. We're noticing how our hunger is, how our energy levels are. And then we're noticing how those different meal structures actually make us feel, et cetera, right? Um, but we're also learning from that. We're also learning going, okay, so that's roughly what I should feel like after a meal of that size. That's roughly what a meal should look like to hit these calories and macros. Cool, we're not just going into this following basically a meal plan you've created for yourself you're learning from this right so that in future we can start moving you away from calorie and macro tracking right but before we do that we also want to ideally improve your meal or sorry your food selection eating enough fruits and veg throughout the day and again we can set targets on that going oh i want you to eat 10 12 fruits and veg per day i want you to eat five fruits whatever it is right we can set targets for that but ultimately i just want you to eat more fruits and veg right um we can, again, modify our saturated fat intake, getting that a little bit lower than most people eat. Although nowadays, most people are around the kind of 11, 12%, if I remember correctly. Um, 
so we're, we're, we're doing that better food selection. Cool. We've got that. We're able to hit our calories. We're able to hit our macros. We're getting the fat loss results that we want. Ultimately, we need to be thinking, what am I going to do after I've got all the fat loss, right? I'm at the perfect body weight for me. I'm at the body composition that I want. What are we doing after that? Oh, we're eventually going to increase our calories, right? Where am I going to increase calories distributed throughout the day? Oh, well, actually, I find that, you know, lunchtime, I could definitely be eating a little bit more. I get a little bit hungrier coming into dinner time, or maybe actually I would, I would like to have a snack here or there. Cool. We can be thinking about that after the fat loss phase. We do the fat loss phase. We slowly increase calories, just a small amount. Again, we can just go, let's say 200. We just add that, see how your body responds. Oh, you're actually still in a deficit. You're still losing weight. Let's add another hundred calories. And we can go out nice and slow like that, because especially if this is your first time, you don't want to just go, oh, I'll just add 500 calories and we're all good, right? So that's something to be thinking. What am I going to do after this fat loss diet? And more to the point, most people aren't going to want to track their calories for the rest of their life. So we have to use all the good habits that we just built in building that diet and then implementing that diet. We have to use those and then actually put those habits into play rather than just leaning on my fitness pal or whatever other calorie tracking map app that you've been using, you know, rather than just using that for the rest of your life. Now, some of you might like that. I personally, I like my fitness pal. I like logging my food. Um, but a lot of people don't. So the only way we're going to get away from my fitness pal is to slowly start phasing it out. And the only way you can do that is if you know what a rough, you know, 2000 calories roughly looks like, you know, how does that look like on my plate spread throughout the day? How much protein do I need to be eating in terms of just food selection rather than, oh, I'll just use my app, right? Um, so do either of you have anything to add to that? Because the implementation is arguably the hard part. And that's arguably where, a lot of the coaching actually occurs. Um, but hopefully as we've gone through just setting the targets and bringing up some of the different issues that come along with that, hopefully that's given you a few ideas about the habits. But do you have anything to say on that, Gary? I think just to say that, you know, obviously longer term tracking isn't forever, but it is something that I think, even though I, I find myself saying that a lot, I find myself saying, you don't have to track. There are many different ways to approach your nutrition most of my clients track for at least a period of time. And I think the biggest thing is probably the educational component associated with that, because I find myself, especially when, when I, when I'm working with clients and I've had a few of these recently who have got a generally healthful diet, they're health conscious and, you know, they wouldn't be eating poorly by any means, but then I get them to track for a while. And it's so clear that their conception as to, where they might get their protein, where they might get their fiber is just all over the place. And there's massive variability. So their idea of a healthy breakfast one day might have seven grams of protein and the next day might have 40. And there's just no consistency in terms of how the diet might actually contribute to someone's goals. So I had one client recently who whose average protein intake was coming in at 70 to 80 grams. And this is someone with a muscle and strength development goal because he was just kind of following what he believed to be conventionally healthy eating you know and that's a that's potentially 50 percent of the protein intake i'd want to, to eat so despite the fact that he's doing everything well this period of tracking now is actually going to take things up uh, a whole other level for him and that will stick with him then for long for the long term because he'll realize okay porridge is a healthy breakfast but let me get a scoop of whey protein or let me have a high protein yogurt on the side. And it's, it's actually just these small, simple little changes that are then very easy to sustain long-term 
But I think tracking, at the very least, um, it will be a great educational tool. Uh, and at most, it will drastically improve your results, which it does for a lot of people as well. 100%. Brian? Yeah, agree with all that stuff. Um, I had a look there in my own tracking document. I haven't tracked since the end of July. Um, and what I've maintained my weight basically pushed it up a little bit as planned. So a lot of that just comes down to the fact that, you know, my food selection doesn't vary a huge amount because like I have my go-to meals. Yes, I eat a variety of meals, but it's like I always have in mind like, oh yeah, I'm trying to get this much of a protein rich food, this much of a carbohydrate rich food. Like I said earlier, there's not a huge amount of variation in food group to food group once you understand how to categorize them. Um, I think having a plan like is one of the best things for people. And I think that especially in difficult situations, right? Because we, we've talked about how to set up a diet and everything else. We haven't talked much at all about, you know, what actually gets in the way of that. Right. So we're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone needs to, first of all, understand how to implement kind of their ideal day. Um, but then a large part of the actual coaching process is how do we navigate when things are more difficult? Right. So I think about, you know, I coach a lot of doctors, they work nights, they find that more challenging. They're super busy on the night shift um, or if they're on call or something, you know, what are, you know, solutions to that problem of like, I don't really have time to sit down and eat. You know, my uh, circadian rhythm is a bit all over the place. The food availability in the middle of the night is not, is nowhere near as good as as during the day. There's this, you know, solidarity of of night shift work where we all bring in kind of treats and then help each other get through it. And, uh, you know, chocolate and stuff is just omnipresent in, in a hospital setting this time of year, especially, right? Um, so that's where I think get a bit more complicated, you know, it's like, all right, well, how do I actually do that? And like, again, a lot of us just having a plan. Um, a lot of people understand like, okay, I know what I'm actually, I know what I need to try and do here in this context. I, I've thought about what gets in the way of that. So what am I going to do? And like, I often don't think my solutions are, are groundbreaking, but just giving that bit of thought to the planning so like, what how am I actually going to go about this and then once you have that plan set uh like with any other kind of meal structure it's like cool well now I know that you know I'm going to bring a lot of fruit in with me I'm going to use the Huel shakes um because I can I can mix them up pretty quick and they're you know high protein and, and a complete meal essentially or whatever um and that and that's how I get through that specific situation and there's going to be a lot of specific situations for you you know the meals out, the the weekend family gatherings, etc. Um, we have to have those kind of principles in mind. Like, what am I actually trying to do with the diet? Um, question I often ask people is like, well, how do you make food choices? Like, like you know, you're putting a meal together. Like, based on what? Um, and people often don't give it that much thought. But once you've gone through this educational process of being like, okay, I have goals that I'm trying to achieve with my nutrition. I know that these are the things I need to focus on for those goals. So how do I still try and tick those boxes no matter what the situation? Um, whereas most people, if they don't give much consideration to the nutrition, it's just like, what's convenient? What's tastes nice? Um, and that's maybe it uh, for a lot of people before they start taking interest in this stuff. Um, 
yeah so having a plan uh works wonders i think um again there's going to be certain situations individual to individual that will make this a little bit trickier you know i have a, I have a client at the moment who um is veg oh, is vegetarian you know so she eats um she's uh dairy products um and eggs and then but doesn't need any of the plant substitutes because she doesn't like the, the textures of them and stuff right so won't eat the plant substitutes what patty they're disgusting <laughs> um she actually finds them too reminiscent of meat actually uh to <laughs> eat them um so only the plant substitutes so that makes you know things a little bit trickier because it's like right we have a lot less options basically in terms of food selection so you know for people listening to this you may have specific considerations special situations where you know obviously we can't just cover every hypothetical or scenario that we've experienced in a podcast how you said we're here for well longer than four hours of that right but um that's just another thing another layer on top of this is like yeah once you have your diet in a good place based on like normal routine day to day then we also have to help you figure out these other situations where things aren't as routine and that's you know a large part of the coaching job like i said earlier is, is a lot of this is problem solving it's like what are the speed bumps to you heading to where you want to get to with your nutrition and your goals and how can we help you overcome them without you know ripping all the axles out of the car 100 i mean i don't really have anything else to add like i, I know we could definitely go down a few more rabbit holes um but unless you have anything else to add gary do you want to wrap this up yeah i think that's all the basics covered and if you'd like more than the basics covered and more specific guidance of course we have coaching spaces available at triage and you can work with either of the coaches in this episode and the other members of our excellent coaching team so you'll find the application form for that and details of coaching below so check those out if you're interested heading into the new year now other than that we put out a lot of other free information so you can subscribe to our triage method newsletter which goes out weekly on a monday and that will give you more free content along with that available on our social media at triage method and on our available um public uh, personal i should say uh, accounts as well so make sure you're following all those if you're enjoying the podcast we always appreciate when people share the podcast leave a rating and review and if you're someone that coming into the new year you want to increase your nutrition education specifically we do have a nutrition certification so whether you're a personal trainer a budding personal trainer wanting wannabe nutritionist we do recommend that you sign up to our course and bump up your nutrition knowledge and competence in coaching everything that we've discussed here as well so that's all for this week guys um is this this is coming out um new year's day is it or is it yeah no monday is the second isn't it oh the second well anyway i hope your new year's off to a good start goodbye